The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Chicago Bears fans, thanks for tuning in to this special edition of my T-Formation Conversation podcast. I am your host, Lester A. Wolfung Jr., editor-in-chief of Windy City Gridiron. And why is this edition of my podcast so special, you may ask? Well, for the first time ever, I recorded so much content that I had to break my show into two parts. And this is actually part two of our WCG Top Bears Players of All Time discussion. So if you guys haven't checked out part one of our 100 Bears of All Time list, go check out that ASAP because we ran through players 100 through 51. And that means that part two here is going to be players 50 down through one. All right, so here is the deal. Um, There were six of us at WCG that compiled a list of the absolute best players to ever play for the Chicago Bears. And we did it, of course, uh, to honor the Bears' 100th anniversary season. Ranking our list, besides myself, was Jacob Infante, Eric DeWachter, Jeff Berkus, Jack M. Silverstein, and Sam Householder. And we figured out the order of our ranking by a complicated mathematical method that I can't really explain to you now. But we explained it in part one of this podcast, so again... Go check that one out uh, before you listen to this one here. So so in this two-parter here, um, I actually talked with Sam Householder, uh, who was our resident gambling expert, and he also does our weekly game previews. I also grabbed Jeff Burkus, who not only co-hosts our Bears Over Bears podcast right here on the WCG podcast channel, but he's also our chief fantasy football analyst. And of course, I had to get Jack M. Silverstein, who is WCG's Chicago Bears historian. So... Like I said, part one was 100 down through 51, and with this episode, we're going to jump right back into the countdown at number 50 and work our way all the way down to number one. Any guesses who it is? Well, the the list is already out on the site, so you probably know by now. Uh, But anyway, we managed to get in some references to some current Bears. We also discussed the two other Bears top 100 lists that has happened this offseason, the one from the Chicago Tribune and the official one from the Chicago Bears. So... You guys ready? All right, then. Let's go. Jump right back into the list. Let's go to the next uh, next group. We got 50, Julius Peppers. Only four years in Chicago for the big defensive end. 49, Dave Duerson. 48, Fred Williams. Another defensive lineman. 47, Bill Osmanski. 46, Dougie Buffon. 45, Joe Kapka. 44, Roisey Taylor. 43, Mike Brown. 42, Wilbur Marshall. 41, Johnny Morris. So I mentioned Julius Peppers, only four years a Bear, but all four was a Pro Bowl. Did we get him too high? Or did he fall on the other lists uh, somewhere in the same vicinity, Jack? 
Yeah, I, I actually thought we had him too high because I think he was very good, uh, certainly. And I, listen, he's, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. We're obviously, again, to the listeners, we're only addressing the four years he was in Chicago. Yes. Obviously, he's, he's as good as anybody who suited up in a Bears uniform, frankly. I mean, he's as, he's as good all time as Dan Hampton, yes. He's as good as is he as good as Doug Atkins? Yeah, you have. I mean, I mean Julius his Peppers whole career. Is, yeah, his whole career. Yeah. Okay, but the four years here, he was he was very good. But you're talking about, um, I think he topped out at like 10, 11 sacks. Yeah. Um, he had an eight sack year. He we only went to the playoffs once. Now, granted, we would have gone in 2011 had Jay not got hurt, but he did, and. I felt like he hadn't done quite enough to be that high. So we have him at 50. Dan and Don have him at 59. Tribune has him at 63. Okay. Um, the defensive linemen who are ahead of him on our list in order, Atkins, Dent, Hampton, McMichael, Fred Williams. On the Dan and Don list, Atkins, Hampton, Dent, McMichael, Williams, uh, Wally Chambers, and who is that? One second. Um, I'm having a brain moment here. Oh, I just mistyped it, I think. I put Mike Brown in there. Anyways, and then, uh, and then on the Tribune list, they've got Atkins, Hampton, Dent, McMichael, Fred Williams, Wally Chambers, Jim Osborne, and then Peppers. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think part of the stuff with Peppers for me, you know, I'm not sure where I actually put him in, in my round of voting, but when I thought of Julius Peppers... You know, the, the the first thing I think of about his Bears era was how important of a signing he was as a free agent. You know, it was it was still back in the day when it was the the midnight signing when uh, you know it was Coach Levy Smith there yeah. at, his, at his doorstep at midnight, and he was there to talk to him right. that day. It wasn't the 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 legal tampering period which everyone talks about these days. It was back then. It was at midnight on the day of free agency. The Bears were there to talk to him, and the Bears got him signed. I think he was just a big signing. For the Bears, and for me anyway, that's kind of how how I kind of justify him being where he is. Uh, Sam, what about you? You okay with Peppers being yeah. that high? Yeah, I, I, I mean, maybe I overrated him a little bit, but I always, you know, not only how important he was at the time he signed, but you look back at his 2010 season; it was only his third All-Pro vote of his career, and you look at. It and obviously the glory stat is sacks, and you say he only had eight sacks that year, but I think that that's misleading because I think you forget how dominant he was his first year in Chicago. He had eight sacks, but he had three forced fumbles. He had two interceptions as a defensive end. He had three forced fumbles. I I already said, but you know, eighteen quarterback hits. That was 11 tackles for loss. It was just an all-out dominant season. 54 total tackles. It was a it was a fantastic season. You know, it, it catapulted. That was before last year was the last Bears playoff appearance. I think that he was a very important component to to getting that defense back to to where it was in like 06. Um, and you know. It, it ended up being kind of lost because they never got back to the playoffs. Uh, he had more sacks his last two years, in, or his last, yeah, two of his last three years in Chicago. But he was so dominant at the beginning of his Bears tenure, and obviously his contract just became, like, too much. 
so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think that. I think it was about right. Um, maybe a little too high, but that 2010 season was special. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say one second. I'll yeah, say yeah. two more things about Julius Peppers real quick. Number one, he played all 16 games in all four of his seasons, plus uh, started the two playoff games in 2010. Number two, Sam, you said that he um, he only had eight sacks. Do you know who else had eight sacks for the Bears in 2010? Ooh. Israel Adonijah. Hmm. And 2009 was the last year with Alex Brown and Adewale Agumlie. They get Peppers, and then it's like, who's going to be the other defensive end? And all of a sudden, it's Izzy. And Julius took so much heat off of the other side of the line that Izzy was able to pop out and get eight sacks. So I always looked at it like, you know, when Pep had the eight, it was like, yeah, and Izzy had eight, too. He brought a lot of balance there. Jeff, you got thoughts on Peppers? Yeah, I do. So I think to put some numbers to this, uh, the Bears' defense was a little stagnant, and then they signed Peppers. I get that he's, his sack numbers were huge. He did earn first-team All-Pro uh, that year, probably one of his best years in his first ballot Hall of Fame career. But the, the point is that he took that defense back up to a top-five DBOA finish, and every year he was there, they were a top-five defense. And so a lot like the Mac signing where he just became this amazing player that everybody else got better around him, that's what Peppers did to that team too. They brought that defense back into relevance for that four-year run. I know his fourth year wasn't great, but um, a first-team All-Pro and two Pro Bowls and bringing that defense back up to top five units, that's his legacy. You know, I remember when when the Bears signed Peppers, you know, I mean, there wasn't Twitter back then, I don't think, and but but there was some of the chatter, you know, on, on, on Sports Talk Radio was that, that Peppers takes a lot of plays off. I mean, that's something that kind of has followed him around his career. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I never saw that in Chicago. This is a guy that played the run like a beast. He was always after the quarterback. And, 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 and like we already talked about, he played every single game here, so... I thought it was a great signing at the time, and I think he's uh, definitely a good place here at number 50. But let's, let's keep rolling on here because we're going into number 40 now and uh, another a big, strong defensive end, Ed Sprinkle. Number 39, Rick Cesaris, fullback. 38, Matt Forte. 37, Gary Fensick. 36, Patty Driscoll. Oh, we did another quarterback on our list, but he's more known for his other stuff. Uh, uh, number 35, Harlan Hill. We talked about him earlier. 34, George Hallis. 33, Richie Pettibone. 32, Lance oh. Briggs. 31 link Lyman. So, so Sam, you know, we got George Hallis, you know, Papa Bear at number 34. You know, why the hell we got him so low? What, what, what was the thinking there? Yeah, so one of the things that we really established early on was that this truly was a list of the top 100 players, and in that we were only considering on-field production only. So didn't matter what you contributed as a coach, didn't matter what you contributed to other NFL teams before or after Chicago. We were only looking at your Chicago Bears on-field contributions. So therefore, being the founder of the franchise, being the winningest coach in team history, all that stuff was out the window for George Hallis, and it was merely down to on-field football contributions. I think that when you look at that stuff, he, he was not necessarily transcendent or amazing to to merit being higher than we voted him. Now, have any of you guys ever seen any Ed Sprinkle film at all? Yeah, I will say Jeff and I are probably two of the biggest Ed Sprinkle stands on the <laughs> staff, and he is definitely like 
one of my top five Bears of all time. Um, I think that it's a shame that he's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I have seen uh, a lot. Not a lot, but I've seen some of his film. There's and, some out there. Yeah, and I'll, I'll let Jeff talk about it because I know that Sprinkle is one of his favorite players as well. But Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jeff, you got some thoughts on Sprinkle? What was his nickname? Well, the there's Claw? A, there, the Claw. Yeah. He's also known as the meanest man in football. Uh, and I just... He's just this kind of rough, dominant, kind of echo of the whistle guy, play right up until the echo of the whistle. And so a lot of people thought he might have been a little dirty, but, you know, it's kind of one of those on the line things. But there is a really good NFL Films clip out there, uh, one of those old school announcers doing doing the narration. Uh, I'm going to have uh, some sprinkle stuff coming out with, uh, with a lot of other history stuff in the near future, and I link to that video. So uh, we'll definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, like that. Okay, let me. Is that some NFL history that. music there? Yeah, that was that was uh that was the NFL films suite. Um, uh, Jeff, let me ask you this because Ed Sprinkle is a name that I think I, I think he's a player where people are more familiar with his name um, first, and then maybe just his reputation, like you said, meanest man. But what can you tell us about his position? Because he played end and he played end at a time when it was still two ways, meaning he is known as a mean guy because of his defensive play, as basically like an early defensive end, but he was also a receiver because the end position on offense was the, was the receiver at the end of the line. Right. And then when you right. get into the evolution of the positions, that's where you get the split end, which became a, a what we call wide receiver, and then a tight end, Mike Dicka, which is closer, but at the time it was just you sort of play on the line and you catch passes. I think he, I think he caught passes from like Luckman, Lane, and Blanda. I think like three Hall of Fame guys. So what can you tell us about what he was like as a player? Remove the reputation. What was his What was his game like? Why would he be in the Hall of Fame? Well, I think uh, it's it is mostly the defensive part of it that he's known for. He's not exactly piling up stats as, as an end. I mean, he has some catches, but it's not anything to write home about. But I think it's just it's fierce play, and like I said, to the echo of the whistle, and so he's he's just constantly, he's just a, he's a tough out. You don't want to run to his side. The whole thing on Claw is basically, it's kind of like that Deacon Jones head slap, right, where he'd slap you upside the head. Well, the Claw was kind of similar in that he'd, like, reach out and, like, clothesline you. Nice. So if you were running by him and he was engaged in a block, he would just clothesline you and he'd take you out, which obviously none of this stuff plays in today's game. But back then, he was just this, like you said, is borderline dirty in those days. He would be kicked out of the league and fined for all of his money if he did that in today's game. So. Or you could argue he just had a really primitive and, at the time, legal swim move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But there were also fewer. There were also fewer officials, yeah. and fewer and fewer yeah. cameras, yeah. and that changed the whole thing. Yeah, right. The, the, the clothesline so was outlawed at some point. Uh, I some love, point I love before that. the longest yard movie was was popularized. I believe it was outlawed at some right. point from that. So. so, 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 Jack, I gotta get your thoughts here on George Hallis real quick. You know, you had an article pop up today on the site, and it's a brilliant, brilliantly written article. You know, but some people read that article it was about George Hallis and, and, the, and the, the ban on black players that happened, you know, back in the day, obviously. Um, but some people took that and they kind of like skimmed it, I noticed. 
and it kind yeah. of took a different tone of it. <laughs> the tone I took out of that was was obviously the the writing was brilliant, but it was a man, a George Hallis, who he, he changed through time. I mean, he may have had a time back when the, the ban obviously happened, but then you know, as you wrote about, as he went on in his career, he tried to do some other things to kind of help get uh, the the game back integrated. Like I said, some people are looking at the article, and, and obviously the people that are that are reading it are, are coming away good. But some of the skimmers are, are kind of thinking, you know, there was a couple of mean spirited comments. There was a couple, yeah. just you know, we, the the, 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 the typical trolls, think, the typical trolls out there that kind of don't get it. I think even I think even for the most part, the people who have been um, the people who have who have reacted negatively at the outset, we've kind I've talked it through with a couple of people. I noticed that you flipped and. It. Yeah, and I flipped a few of them. Um, anyways, what we're talking about, if you're listening later on, is um, uh, the Bears announced in June that they would wear a throwback to the 1936 season. What is significant about this throwback is that unlike other Bears throwbacks, with the exception of the 1925 jerseys that we wore in 94, um, all of our other throwback jerseys are tied to an era, you know, a series of years. This one is tied to a specific year, 1936, and that year is significant because it was the third year of the NFL's 12-year ban on black players from the 1934 season to the 1945 season. That ban is popularly attributed to George Preston Marshall, the owner of the Washington team, and, or at the time the, the Boston team. And uh, it's also attributed to the Great Depression. But as I started thinking a lot more about it and reading a lot more about it, I just was like, you know what? George Preston Marshall was in his second year as an owner. I don't think he could have strong-armed all these other owners plus a president. He would have needed sponsors. You know, he would have needed co-signers. And the guy who would have been front and center is the guy who in February of 33 was writing all the new rules uh, to open up the game with George Preston Marshall he was the defending champion owner. He was the only member of this uh, owner's group in 1933 who was an owner in 1920. Um, he was the chairman of the rules committee, George Stanley Hallis. And so it was just looking at this piece of history through that uh, context. But for our purposes today, again, George Hallis needs to be evaluated for our list just based on how he was as a player. So he was a player from 1920 to 1929. He was an end by his own rec uh, recounting he was small he held whenever he could again that's how that's how he described what he did he came from a great system from university of illinois and then he went and played on the great lakes naval team in 1918 and he was but he was small but he had a record he recovered a fumble and returned it i've seen different things i've seen 95 yards i've seen 98 yards he outran jim thorpe 90 plus yards 95 to 98 yards for a touchdown you can bet your you can bet your ass he was uh intense pushed the rules to the edge very well conditioned he was big on conditioning he was big on um practice he his he was always said you know our team is going to be the best conditioned we're going to be the best coached we're going to plays and so you can just picture and this is what i meant when i said you know you try to like imagine yourself in a certain time and like what would that have been like well you can just picture this guy george hallis who's undersized but knows all the rules is totally fierce totally just committed to the sport loves the sport yeah that that's who Hallis was he was an end and um 
He caught passes and he made tackles. Nice. Yeah, I, I just want to touch on your article real quick. Like I said, we, we mentioned him. We had to do it. It's out there. Make sure everyone checks it out. It's definitely a, a brilliant piece. Uh, I'm, I'm real proud of what you did with that. And uh, uh, let's, let's roll on here, though, because it's getting uh, we're getting kind of long on the tooth here. But number 30 here, we got George Trafton, another one of the great Bear centers. 29, George Musso. 28, Olin Krutz. 27, Joe Fortunato. 26, Devin Hester. 25, Steve McMichael. 24, Jimbo Covert. 23, Ed Healy. 22, Bill Hewitt. And 21, another great Bears center, Jay Hilgenberg. And, and Sam, I think the center position has kind of got lost. I don't think people – I know I didn't realize how important it was to the franchise until we started compiling our list. And here we go, centers all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you, Les. You know, I, I knew more of the modern era guys. Obviously, Owen Pete is one of the first Bears players in my time watching the team that I absolutely – Fell in love with uh, one of my all-time favorite players, um, Jay Hilgenberg. Most most people know him as well. But, you know, you don't think about the rich history of the center position for a lot of teams. But, you know, here the Bears are. George Trafton as well definitely merits talking that conversation. It You know, I think when you really look at <clears throat> the whole history of the team, I think that you could, you know, obviously – teams are known for certain positions right with the bears it's linebackers and running backs well i i think after doing this list i, I would put center right up there um at number three after after those positions it has to be and then we, we already talked about uh, another center uh, earlier with jeff uh, uh jeff where do you think daniels would be on this list at, at some point <laughs> oh, it's it's such a great list, right? And I, I, I kind of wonder if Trafton didn't get put a little low. He's a Hall of Famer. He played in a lot of games in the 20s. And I kind of I kind of wonder if maybe we put him a little bit too low, you know, after Krutz and Hogenberg. But it's a really good question because that's, that's great company for Daniels to try to, uh, try to achieve up, up there. There's a lot of great offensive linemen in the, league, in the team history just in general, but center is just so good. And if he can get up into that into that class, then yeah, then we're talking about a borderline Hall of Famer. And he's got all the tools, and so I'd be really pleased if he can grind out you know one of those great 12, 15 year careers and and uh, anchor those offensive lines and put himself up into that company. That's an incredible history, and hopefully we're adding to it. Yeah, just this group here, we got we got three centers, and Trafton, Krutz, and Hilgerberg. You know, I think Jay Hilgerberg should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. I think Krutz is going to be borderline. Um, I think he's, he deserves it. You know, when I look at Hall of Famers, I look at was the guy that the best at the position in your era. And, and Krutz was definitely him and, and uh, uh, Kevin Mawai were probably the two best centers of the era. So I think a guy like Krutz should go in, a guy like Hilgerberg should go in. Um, and then talking about Hall of Famers, that number 26 in our list is Devin Hester. You guys all think he's going to the hall someday, Sam? Yes, I do. I, I don't know if he'll be first ballot or even first three years of eligibility, but I do think eventually he's going to get there. I think that the tide is is uh, shifting on specialists, and I think that he will get in, rightfully so. Jeff, you, you with uh, Devin Hester in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I agree with Sam. I think that it's it probably won't happen early. But I think that a case will be made for him. Case will be made that he's one of the most important players on the defense too, because they kicked away from him. Yeah. Uh, and you know, they obviously on the offense he wasn't great wide receiver, but he got all these hidden yards. I just 
he was uh, such a weapon, and uh, yeah, absolutely, I think he's obviously the scores are are amazing, but just a hidden yardage to me is what really makes the argument. And I think a guy like Devin will you, Hester. Will you could explain? Have been will you explain time. that concept, Jeff, to our listeners who maybe haven't heard that term, hidden yardage, and how it applies to Hester? Well, when a punter takes the ball and punts it out of bounds because he's scared of giving giving too much air on the ball and and uh, giving Devin a giving Devin a lane. There's you're giving the offense 20, 25 yards because you're not actually kicking the ball as far as you should, and so you saw it a lot where they try to angle it out of bounds, but they kind of shank it, or you know, the punters don't practice punting it out of bounds like that very often, so so it wasn't very good. They're doing the same thing on kickoffs a lot. They they kick the ball out of bounds there too, and that starts at what the 40 or 35 or whatever, and so so the, just just his presence on the field when they put him back there. Uh, a lot of times they were just getting yards without him doing anything, but just standing back there. Yeah, it was such a such a weird era for the Bears. I mean, he was he was the face of the franchise if you think about it for a little while there, and uh, as basically just a return guy. And I know Jack, for your thoughts on him in the Hall of Fame, you're definitely uh, for him in the Hall, I assume. Uh, I think he might end up. I think he might end up first ballot. First ballot I think yeah. that I think that by the time he comes up, the the, the tide like Sam and Jeff said, will be turning. Um, he's definitely going in. Uh, Lester, you mentioned him being the face of the franchise. I have him as one of my generational guys. Yeah. So I, I have him in that top 12 because I think that he did things that no one has done in the history of the game. I think that he defined your experience as a Bears fan. I think that he became much must-watch TV. I, I, I mean, He just... He just changed the game. So let's see here. We have him. Uh, we have him at twenty. Twenty six. That it. Twenty six. All right. We have him at twenty six. How did we get him at twenty six? Holy cow. We have him at twenty six. Dan and Don have him at twenty, and uh, and uh, the Tribune has him at nineteen. So just to recap, the special teamers. We have Hester, um, Robbie, Automatic Jack Manders, Manley Butler. And Maynard, and then the other two lists have. Oh, the Tribune doesn't even have a punter. Those punks. Yeah. So the uh, so the Dan and Don list has Hester, and then Robbie Butler, Bobby Joe Green, the punter, and then Manley, and then the Tribune has Hester, Automatic Jack Manders, Robbie Butler, and Manley, and no punter for the Trib. I didn't even put that together. Who do they think they are? I'm kidding. School, we're all we're all thinking. we're all entitled to our own opinions, Maybe. but uh, uh, but yeah. So that's that's what the special teams uh, looks like. Yeah, I think with Hester, I mean, he he is personally responsible for the most uh, exciting moment of Bears history for me personally was the uh, opening uh, kickoff to the 06 Super Bowl. It was probably the uh, most excited I've ever been in the Bears fan. I think a lot of Bears fans share that same sentiment. Uh, so let, let, let's let's move on here. Let's go, we're in our top twenty now. Twenty, we got George McAfee. Nineteen, Joe Steidhar. 18, Charles Peanut Tillman. 17, Stan Jones. 16, George Connor. 15, Dan Fortman. 14, the coach Mike Ditka. 13, Dan that Hampton. Coach. 12, Richard Dent. 11, Doug Atkins. That's a pretty serious uh, ch- a trio of defensive linemen there with Hampton, Dent, and Atkins at 13, 12, and 11. Jeff, uh, out of those three, you think we got the, the order right on those three? Yeah, the order's right, and I think Doug Atkins should probably be in the top ten. We can talk about who I would place him with later. Um, but, yeah, those three are 
fantastic uh, trio there. It would have been a lot of fun to watch all three of them play together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then uh, Mike Dicka, Sam, we talked about earlier, we did not take any of his coaching into account. Do you think we have Dick at 14? Do you think that's a good place for him as a tight end only? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, he, he changed the tight end position, but again, in the last just seven, eight years, we've seen the tight end position change entirely again, and you look back and, you know, it would be easy for somebody who's only been watching NFL football for five or six years to look at Mike Dick as career with the Bears and say well that's really not that special but it really was I think that really his time with the Bears was quite short and so just five seasons so I I think that I think we got it right I think he's you know definitely a great player generational for his time still outside of that top 10 you know, Jack, you mentioned George Conner earlier as a guy that made the All-Pro at, at three different positions, offense and defense. And I think it's a guy like that. I think it's a, a guy we should talk about again. I mean, did you ever catch any, any of the old film on George Conner from back then? Did they ever have anything that you, they were able to catch on uh, on YouTube or anything? Yeah, I've seen I've seen a little bit, um, but I've I, it's I've read way more about him yeah. than I've been able to see. You know, he's 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 partially credited. I've seen him credited as. Um, as being the first outside linebacker, yep, and he was a great offensive tackle too. Like I said, he had three straight years where he made. So back in the day, it wasn't there was like a number of All Pro teams that people gave credence to. Um, there was the the United Press uh, team, and then and some others. But he made three straight. He had three straight years where he was first team All Pro, one on offense and one on defense, which is just insane. And um, I, I also looked, I gathered up a bunch of all-time Bears teams over the years, starting from a team that George Hallis wrote in 1941, uh, where he named his top 11, because that was just how teams were talked about then, was just 11 guys. And, um, and George Connor. Let's see, in 85, Don Pearson named him as the top or a starting offensive tackle on the Bears. And in 1994, Pearson and Fred Mitchell did a list for the 75 season anniversary. He was offensive tackle. Fred Mitchell did one in 05, offensive tackle. And then Pearson and Pompey's team this year that they put out this summer, he they have him as a starting um, uh, outside linebacker. So you're talking about you know a pretty rich history at these two positions in, on this franchise across 100 years, and a case can be made that he is a starting outside linebacker, and a case can be made that he's a starting offensive tackle. Uh, it's, it's it's pretty stunning when you think about it. Yeah, I, I love watching the old film when I can find them on YouTube or, or or the old NFL films. You know, guys like him, guys like Stan Jones, just were just like so dominant back then. A guy like Doug Atkins. You know, if you guys have not seen the NFL films on Doug Atkins, it's just unbelievable. He was such a, a monster of a player back then. He really fit the moniker monster of the midway. Um, but just a uh, just an incredible player, Doug Atkins. Dan Hampton, six eight, six man. eight. He was a giant of a man back then. Just, uh, this is a good group here. But now let's roll into our top ten. And um, I like this group here. But we're going to go uh, number ten, Red Grange. Eight, Mike Singletary. Uh, I'm sorry, nine, Mike Singletary. Eight, Bronco Nagurski. Seven. 
Brian Erlacher, six, Clyde Bulldog Turner, five, Bill George, four, Sid Luckman, three, Gale Sayers, two, Dick Buckus, and number one, there was never any doubt from anyone, a unanimous choice, Walter Payton at number one. Um, so, so, Jeff, you mentioned you have a guy in your top ten you would bump. You want to talk about that guy now? Well, I would put Atkins at ten, and I would, or maybe nine, and I would put Grange down. And and I think Grange is up there because of the impact, impact that he had with the one season uh, uh, with the, the the barnstorming tour in twenty five. Uh, so I think that's that's really what he gets so much credit for is that first superstar thing. But then he left the Bears, got injured, actually on a tackle by George Trafton, uh, of all people, Bears Hall of Fame center. And then uh, comes back as a reduced version of himself. Plays running back and corner. He's very good, but he's not the uh, you know amazing player that he once was, and certainly not the player that he was in that 25 season. So um, I think that Grange is maybe a little overrated given the uh, you know the, the lore of the Galloping Ghost, and and I think that I would I would put Atkins, who has a really impressive resume, up higher than Grange. Yeah, I think Jeff, I, let me Jeff, I, I, let me I ask you this: that. Would you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, uh, Jeff. Let me ask you this: If you had to do a top tier of generational guys, and it can be as long or short as you want, would Grange be in that tier? I think he's a generational player because of what he did. But like, you'd have to ask yourself the question: Did he play long enough at that high level to be able to earn yourself onto it? I'd have to think about it. I, I'm not sure I can answer it right now off the top of my head. So, so we oh. have we have Brian Urlacher in this group, and I think we had him higher than the other two lists, if I remember correctly. I know we have him higher than the the official Bears list. Is that true, Jack? And then uh, what about the Trib? Have they got him on their list yet? Yeah, here we go. Um, we have our yeah. So that was another interesting piece of how did the middle linebackers work. We have Buckus two, George five, Urlacher seven, Singletary nine. Uh, Dan and Don have the same order, but it's spaced out. Butkus 2, George 7, Erlocker 14, Singletary 15. And then the Tribune right now has Singletary. They're going to have the same order, too, because they're not going to build George higher than Dick Butkus. So they're going to have Butkus, George, Erlocker, Singletary, but they've got Erlocker at 10 and Singletary at 12. And they're at up to the top eight right now. So they're going to do the same thing. They're going to have Butkus in the top four, probably number two. And they're, they're going to have George somewhere in that, like, five to eight slot. Now, with Brian Lacker, this guy, obviously a generational talent. You know, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I just don't know how you have him lower than Mike Singletary or even that in down in the teens. You know, Sam, from watching him play all the years, I mean, Erlacher is one of the best ever. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, you know, what he brought as far as the athleticism and the all-around ability to, you know, not only play the run, but play sideline to sideline, the speed he brought, um, the ability and coverage, playing in the cover two defense that just suited what he did best was something that was pretty incredible. So I, I think that, you know, as far as like athletic athletic gift, I think that uh, he's certainly the most athletically gifted linebackers that the Bears have had. Um, whether or not that makes him the best ever, I, I wouldn't 
necessarily say that because obviously we all know that this Texas and Spears he brought to opponents, but um, Erlacher is certainly one of the best ever. I think that's on in the background. I think maybe that's uh, Jack doing some laundry for a little girl back there. Maybe that's what's going on over there. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I do all my chore at night, so I've, I've done. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, no, so I did my laundry earlier. Okay. And I, this is, you know, this is real talk behind the scenes. Real Windy talk. City Gridiron. This is the real shit that happens. <laughs> do laundry. I'm over here doing dishes. Uh, then I'm gonna have to sweep, um, wipe down the counters, See? and uh, trying to do it quiet enough to let everybody sleep upstairs. Not wake the baby. Right, so, so let's talk about our top three. I mean. Peyton, Buckus, no doubt about it. Are we all good with Gail Sayers at number three? Jay? Yeah, actually, I want, I want to jump in here because we all agree Walter's number one. I think the more interesting conversation is that two through four. And I think that considering – because I think that considering Gail um, – I think that considering Gail's injury, maybe he's a five. And so the one that I've gone around and round on is Butkus – uh, Luckman and Nagurski. I think that you can make the case for any of them in any order. And I'll, I'll lay it out and you guys can agree or disagree. Butkus is probably just the epitome. Oh, forget Bears football. He's just the epitome of f- football. And he's an all pro. And he came after the point of the two way player. But remember, he was an All America at center at University of Illinois. So if he played earlier, he would have been a center and a linebacker. Um, He is arguably still the greatest player ever at his position. And that's a position that's had, you know, Ray Nitschke and Mike Singletary and Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher and, you know, so many other guys. And you could still say Dick Buckus is the greatest middle linebacker ever. Um, even adjusting for era, you could just say, I will just take 1967 Dick Butkus right now and put him in the middle of my defense. Um, Bronco Nagurski, fullback at a time when that was basically a running back and a linebacker. I believe, who was it? I think it was either Grange or Hallis. But I think Grange once compared him to Dick Butkus. If Dick Butkus and Larry Zonka was one person, that was Bronco Nagurski. Sounds right. And then you've got Sid Luckman, who came in and changed this franchise. He, you could make a case, had the greatest season a uh, quarterback has ever had. He, in 1943, 28 um, touchdowns, I think on 202 pass attempts. Uh, it still is the record, 13.9 um, touchdowns per attempt. The year that Peyton Manning set the NFL record with 55 if he had been at uh, Sid Luckman's clip, he would have thrown 92 touchdowns. That's how far ahead Sid Luckman was. And this guy won a championship, another championship, went undefeated, lost, came back, went, won the MVP, threw seven touchdowns in a game, won another championship, bounced, went to World War II, um, was fighting on D-Day, and then came back to the NFL and won another championship. Not that that necessarily that diversion necessarily matters, but it just speaks to his level of focus to be able to come back from that. And I think you could make the case that look, if the best Bears run is the 1940s, and he was the most important player 
on that team, or you could say Bulldog Turner was. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like you could flip those guys any which way, and I don't think it's as easy of a walk as everybody's saying that it's like Walter's number one and then Butkus is automatically number two. I I don't know. I don't know. I think that if we had watched Nagurski, he might have given us a feeling where you'd be like, whoa. I've never seen anything like this guy. Yeah, I, I know. What uh, do you What do you guys think? Like, like and Sam, then you have, and then you have Sayers. Sam, for for your write up, you wrote up a little something about Nagurski. He was just a really, uh, he was larger than life personality back then too. Yeah, he he really was. Um, I think as far as I mean, where he was from up in Minnesota, um, he really was as mythical a figure as say Paul Bunyan, and you know. I, it was just he was so far outside the realm of what was known at that time there's all these just tall tales and myths about him it's hard to separate what was real and what was fictional but the fact was is like he really was just a big strong dude back in the day before weight training and and modern exercise techniques were, were really in vogue um, he had 19 and a half size championship ring largest ever recorded you know he I do looking at it now I, I do wonder like how we, we let him slip outside the top five I think that that might have been a, a bit of an oversight uh, he really I think he he's deserving you know like Jack said I mean you really could just I mean, other than after Walter, I mean, you could just pretty much shuffle up the next four or five and deal them and have an argument for how they fall that way. You know, you could almost do it randomly yeah. and and be like, oh, yeah, that those guys nailed it. <laughs> so what about, That's how stacked this is. Like, what about our number five is Bill George. You know, we mentioned a lot of these legendary players here. You know, Bill George, you know, he's he's seemed to be more best known for being the first middle linebacker ever. Do you think they kind of helped the myth of Bill George or do you think he deserves to be up in the top five? Jeff. That's a good, that's a really good point because I think that George enjoys a little bit of first mover advantage. So he, he gets that, he gets, a, he racked up a lot of first team all pros yeah. and I'm absolutely sure that he was very good and, and excellent and well-deserving of all of the accolades, but he was also the first and so you do get a lot of points in something like this when you're the first to do something. I think Ditka being, you know, the, the inventing the tight end position at the time gets a lot of uh, points and, and moves up the list. And I think George is the same way. And I've had this struggle with George versus Erlacher, and I, everybody else has it in this order, so that's fine. But the thing about Erlacher is that he was a two-time first-team All-Pro in two very different schemes. Yeah. And, and and that to me, like that's why Erlacher became a first ballot Hall of Famer was because he showed that he could do it in two completely different schemes. And and I just I, I, I really want to study that a little more and maybe at some point Erlacher jumps above or jumps ahead of George. Yeah. I, I think this is kinda of where uh you know, Jack's idea of ranking these guys kinda of more in, in tiers as far as the generational talent. I think that comes into you know, but uh, but guys, I think that's it. I think we've been on the show for almost uh, over an hour and a half. This is the longest T Formation conversation in the history of T Formation conversation. <laughs> so I want to I thank all you guys for for jumping on here. And uh, but but I want to go around real quick, Horn, and have you guys plug plug your your social stuff, plug your Twitter, anything else you're working on. So Sam, you know, why don't you let everyone know where they can find your stuff? 
Yeah, uh, I'm at Sam Householder on Twitter, and uh, coming up this season, I'm going to be pairing with, with Jeff on some gambling stuff and still be bringing you um, game previews and some stuff, uh, stock up stuff, stock down where I look at, you know, risers and fallers within uh, on a week-by-week basis. Jeff, you're next. I'm at Gridironborn. I'm going to be right with Sam, obviously. Also going to be writing about fantasy stuff, partnering up with Whiskey Ranger on some things. With that, I write about fantasy stuff at uh, the QB list. And then, of course, the podcast with EJ Snyder, Bears Over Beers. Make sure you're checking that out. You know, Jeff, you all have something else coming up on the on the more historical front. You want to touch on that real quick? Yeah, could you please? Yeah, I'm like so, dying to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Whiskey Ranger has resurfaced uh, after going MIA for, I don't know, six weeks or something like that. Uh, but I think we're going to have a really cool collaboration between the two of us where uh, going through the entire history of the Bears and naming the best player at the time uh, and calling it the Championship Belt Series. So starting at 1920 and going all the way through uh, this year uh, and just crowning a champion through, uh, through those years. A lot of these guys we've talked about tonight are, are almost certainly going to hold the belt. And I will mention... Bronco Nagurski was a pro wrestling champion. NWA uh, world after champ. He played. Nice. Yes, he was a world champ. Nice. And Jack, how about you, Bob? Plug all your stuff you got going on right now. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, again, pardon my uh, speaking quietly. Get the baby uh, sleeping. Uh, but I am Jack Silverstein, and you can find me at Reed. Jack, R-E-A-D-J-A-C-K on Twitter. I also run the Chicago Sports History Instagram account, A Shot on ELO. That's A-S-H-O-T-O-N-E-H-L-O. Shout out to Craig. Um, Yeah, I write, uh, I'll be writing a a weekly column at WCG and um, doing my history thing. Big one last year was I looked at the uh, I looked at Sid Luckman's seven touchdown game. Um, that was a fun one. I did one. I think it was last year, arguing that the Bears should start unretiring numbers in order to be able to retire other numbers. And um, obviously, I had this Hallis one today, and I've got one coming up on all of the famous Georges in team history. I believe there are nine people named George in the NFL in the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame, and eight of them came through Chicago. So uh, I'll be giving you your guide to famous bears named George, and uh, that's coming up in the next few weeks. So if you have, an, if you have a son someday, Bears fans, name him George. Right. <laughs> yeah, especially if he's born in the 20s. <laughs> there you go. So, so that's the show, guys. Thanks so much for listening. You know, Make sure you subscribe to the WCG Podcast channel for all of our shows. Follow me on Twitter as well, at WildfongJR. Also, until next time, bear down, my friends. <laughs>